May all beings be happy. May all beings be healthy. May all beings be free from harm. May all beings love life. May all beings awaken. Welcome to another Cuke Audio podcast. I'm D.C. Puba of Cuke Audio and Cuke Archives, preserving the legacy of Shunju Suzuki and those whose paths cross his. And anything else that comes to mind, I pray that you and yours are safe and comfortable, free from economic hardship, and able to get out and do whatever it is you want within the limitations of the universal practice of do as little harm as possible. Uh, so today we have a guest, one Mr. John Bales, uh, old friend, uh, uh, was with the uh, Zen Center for many years, and uh uh, hey, listen, I'm going to read you something on him. He's he's the founder and head teacher of One Heart Zen, oneheartzen.org, uh, in Somerville, Massachusetts, outside of uh, uh, Cambridge. Uh, anyway, uh, he's also the chaplain, college chaplain and Buddhist life counselor at Wellesley College. I'm going to read you there little bio on him. Now, all this stuff you're going to hear <laughs> in the podcast, but this will give you a little intro. John trained for 13 years as a Zen Buddhist priest in the monastic and temple settings of the San Francisco Zen Center. After leaving the Zen community to practice as an ordinary citizen, he received a degree in international political economy from Harvard University, developed the Investment Advisory and Securities Division of a regional financial planning firm in the Boston area, married the artist Jessa Damora, participated in a sailboat race around the world in 2000-2001, and became a professional sailboat captain. In 2004, John returned to community dharma practice, was formally recognized as a Zen Buddhist teacher by Zoketsu, Norman Fisher, and established One Heart Zen, a Zen Buddhist-based practice and educational organization in order to share the Zen attitude, spirit, and practice with the world. Now a college chaplain and Buddhist community coordinator, John leads weekly meditations and various Buddhist religious holiday ceremonies throughout the year. He has developed a mindfulness meditation program introducing students to the basics of meditation and mindfulness practice and helping to integrate these practices into their daily lives. Hey, that's pretty good. Uh, so, uh, listen, after we've had our pause to meditate, let's give John a call and see what he's up to, okay? So when you hear the bell, if you have such a mind, hit pause and meditate or whatever for as long as you want. And when you're ready to come back, hit unpause and we'll end the meditation or whatever. And uh, then we'll get going with John Bales.
Hi. Oh, hi, John. Very good. Here we hey, are. Hey, David. Hi. Hmm. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. Hot here. Uh, all's fine here. Um, so what are you up to? What am I up to? Yeah. Ah. Well, rumor has it that I keep sense. Yeah. Well, let's hear about it. Well, I just um, did the Tuesday evening uh, Zazen and Dharma talk. Finished about 10 minutes ago. No kidding. Wow. No uh, kidding. Uh, and uh, where did this happen? It happened right where I am right now in uh, um, what I call the Zendio. It's sort of a studio Zen joint. Yeah. And uh, I've got half of it set up, um, uh, well, at least before COVID, as, as a Zendo. Yeah. <laughs> With, you know, an altar and Zafus and all that stuff. And uh, uh, now I just sort of sit there with my MacBook and um, sit Zazen with people across Zoom, uh, across sometimes the world and mostly the United States. It, and uh, where are you located? Oh, oh Somerville, Massachusetts, uh, contiguous with like Cambridge uh-huh. and Boston. Uh-huh. And... Um uh, what's the name of your group? Um, One Heart Zen. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. One Heart yeah. Zen. So if somebody wants to find it, they can go to oneheartzen.com? Yeah. yeah one One heart Zen dot org. One one heart, up there. Yeah, yeah. One heart You got it. One heart Zen dot org. All right. Yeah. Very cool. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, like we do a whole, I I mean, Monday through Friday at 6.30 a.m. And then uh, every Tuesday evening and Saturday morning, uh, Zazen and a Dharma talk. Um, once a month, a full day sitting. Uh, and then uh, we had been doing more you know, multiple day sittings over Zoom. And recently we did a, uh, about a, a month ago now, our first uh, residential retreat, Sashin, for four days that culminated in a, uh, a Jukai, a Bodhisattva precept ceremony. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Well, so I signed a bunch of people up to be Bodhisattvas. All right. All right. And, um. So nobody's coming to your place now. Right now, yeah, yeah. We've been uh, uh, we've been pretty much in in lockdown, partially because my my uh, my ninety seven year old mother in law moved in with us at the beginning of COVID because we didn't want her we didn't want to be separated from her, mm-hmm. and we knew she was dying, so she lived with us. And then uh, died last November. Mm. But also my wife, Jessa, uh, has had um, what we thought was autoimmune issues, but she has something called dysautonomia. And she's quite, um, she can be quite fragile. So I've been, uh, we've been really, um, I'll call it strict or careful. 
Yeah. About the COVID thing. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, otherwise, uh, I do, um, so I do this One Heart Zen gig, and um, I also am a, uh, a chaplain at a place called Wellesley College. Oh, yeah. You That's know, very well yeah, known. It used to be yeah. a high-end, high you know, women's elite college. Right. And and uh, I'm also recently begun working at this other high-end joint called Amherst College. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, um, just really loving it. Yeah. Just, uh, the kids are pretty outrageous. They're, they need a lot of help. So do I. So it all works out. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yeah. Um. So, uh, how long have you how, how long have you been doing that there? Uh, here's the story. Um, you remember Kensho, David Schneider? Yeah, sure. Well, David, somewhere around 2004 called me up out of the blue. Well, sort of out of the blue. We'd maintained some contact. And uh, he said, John, I'm leading this uh, month-long um, uh, retreat in France. Do you want to come? So I said, sure. What's the date? I'll be there. So I hadn't been practicing, uh, how shall I say, visibly, community-wise, and so on, uh, since I pretty much left Zen Center. Hey, well, what, and, uh, when, when did he do this? What was the year? Two, 2004. Uh-huh. All right. So I went off, and I sat there with all these Shambhala people. Yeah. And uh, and hung out with David, you know, and hung out with some of the other senior, well, call them senior students there, who'd studied with, uh, with Trungpa Rinpoche and so on, and, and uh, um, felt like, wow. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Why the fuck am excuse me? Am I not doing this? <laughs> uh. So I I then did another month long retreat with them and really enjoyed them, and and I realized that um, though that uh, I'm a Zen guy, so I I, um, I I I racked my brain to say, jeez who can I talk to about this in the Zen world, really? And the only person I thought of was Norman. Norman Fisher. So I gave Norman a call. Norman Fisher. So I gave Norman a call, and I said, well, Norman, you know, um, uh, I, I think it's time for me to get, um, I, I don't want to, you know, transmission. And he said, yeah, I can hear it in your voice. <laughs> whatever that means. And um, so I said, I can help you with that. You know, I gave him a little bit of what, what had gone on. And uh, so then I started working with Norman, like uh, traveling uh, out to California every other month and attending sessions that he led for a few years. Mm. And then, uh, and then um, uh I did the uh, Shusou thing at uh, in like 2008 mm -hmm. at the Red Cedar Zen place up in Bellingham. Oh, wow. That's great. Right by I Canada. 
Yeah. So I, I like, I, I had the, how should I say that? The, the ability to be able to say, well, I can just move out there for eight weeks and do this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they, and they, they had a house I could live in and so on and even a car. So, so I moved out there and did that. And, uh, um, and it was really, a, for me, it was, and I think for people there, it was quite a beautiful experience. I made some really, it was just really wonderful. Mm. So, and then, then we started the, whatever they call it, the Shiho study thing um, for the transmission stuff. And, and I, you know, I applied myself to that and there was a whole cohort of people. It included, um, it included Peter Vandersteer, Jeff, Jeff, come on, Jeff's last name. Bickner. Um, Bickner and uh, uh, Jay Simino and, Meg Gawler and um, um, come on, wrap your brain again, John. Chris, Chris Gordon. Mm. And we were all sort of like a uh, a transmission cohort. We spent a week together and did all that stuff. Wow. Yeah, wow. no, it was tremendous. Uh, Norman was tremendously generous and and not a pain in the ass. <laughs> he was just wonderful. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, uh, um, what, you know, what I said to people in the, uh, um, this is what I remember I said. And, um, in the Shuso ceremony, uh, at the end, I think I had to say something. And I said, or maybe I gave a talk and I had to say something. And, and I said, you know, my first teacher could recognize people, but he couldn't acknowledge people. Who was your and first teacher? Dick. Richard Baker. Yeah, yeah. And um, Norman can, has, has the capacity to acknowledge people. Mm-hmm. And I thought that. And I appreciated that deeply. Well, did, uh, yeah, when you, did you go to Mexico with Norman? Is he still doing that? Well, yeah, he, you know, well, I think he's still doing that. Yeah, I went down to Mexico to, uh, I won't remember her names, that place. Yeah, uh, it's quite beautiful. Remarkable to sit with the Mexicans. <laughs> They're so colorful and emotional and wonderful. Yeah, so loving. You didn't. Ro- Rocio wasn't involved, was she? No, Rocio was not involved. I, I don't believe she was involved with um, with with Norman at any time. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, I I won't remember her name. It was a woman who actually owns. Um, she's a medical doctor, and she's also owns a uh, uh, somehow a property that's uh, a resort type place uh, north of. Uh, well, Puerto Vallarta, yeah, mm. about an hour and a half, right on the coast. Mm. So it's actually in that state where all the drug shit is, is going on. Yeah. Huh. Huh. And she she's done a lot of work for what would I can say, um, uh, um, taking care of the locals. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Huh. Yeah. That's well, that's really neat. Um, how did you first come to practice? 
Um, what was your first inkling of Oh, my first anything inkling was of anything. That would lead you there? Uh, um, I was quite young. I, I was kind of a weird teenager. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, it was actually, this will sound maybe crazy to people, but it was actually uh, um, football and sports that woke me up to what uh, a guy named Mirlo Ponte called the uh, unified perceptual field. Mm -hmm. And in that space, I experienced a certain, uh, how shall I say, awareness and and freedom of expression and action that uh, that changed my life. And uh, I decided I wanted to have a life that pursued that. And, uh, you know, I read a bunch of stuff like I was I was I was exposed to Allen Ginsberg and, and other Buddhist stuff early early on like Dwight Goddard and so on as a teenager. Uh-huh. And then when I went then I went off to college at And at, where were you, where were you living? Uh I was living on Long Island. Yeah, is that where you uh, come from? That's where I come from, yeah. The south shore of Long Island in a town called West Islip that I found, um, I found out 40 years later, sometime like 2010 or whatever, I went to a class reunion and I was, people said that we were known, West Islip was known as White Islip. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, uh, and yeah, it's true, but it wasn't, you know, it's like, um, it was like Irish and Italian people who were escaping the city who wanted to have this place that uh, mm. their kids could get educated and so on, and were willing to pay the taxes to have a good high school and library and all that stuff. Mm. But there, there were no black people and there were few Jews. Yeah. Mm. Everybody else, but the other towns is, is where. And, and I didn't realize it was weird until, so literally I was being recruited for football and I'd go around and, I'd end up sharing a room with a black guy from Arkansas or something. And uh, you were being recruited you know, by whom for what? For football. Yeah. A good football. Player. Recruited at what yeah. level? By whom? Uh, well, Penn State, uh, North Carolina, Miami. Uh, and then the Ivy Leagues. And uh, but I realized I was like, well, you know. It's nice to be entertained this, but really, I have no future here. I'm five foot eleven and two hundred and twenty pounds or two hundred and ten pounds. The running backs are bigger than me and faster. I said I'll be a and I won't get an education because I have to work fifty hours a week so uh, so i I changed horses and uh, i went I went to Harvard. And mostly I got in because of football, but I didn't have to play football there. Yeah. There was no scholarship. Um, and then I just became a, a, I, what happened is I, I started studying anthropology and then I, because I was really interested in um, liminal states mm-hmm. and trance states and so on. And that's where you could find out about that stuff, uh, at least in that world then. Uh, and uh, and then I took a course in Asian studies 
the second half, I can't remember, early on, either the first part of my sophomore year or the second half of my freshman year. And I fell in love with, um, I was like, I read uh, a translation. It might have been Jan Polsky's translation of, of um, I think it was both the Diamond Sutra and Wang Bo- and uh, and the the fifth patriarchs thing or the sixth whoever sixth sixth patriarchs platform sutra and i said well these are the first people i've ever experienced that are speaking my language Mm. and then uh, i reorganized college so that i could do an independent major that would allow me to study this stuff Mm. and then by the end of the first semester doing that, I got all these approvals from dean people and so on. By the end of the first semester of doing that, the beginning of the second, we, my advisor and I realized, or I realized, I didn't want to do this academically. I actually wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. So I took some time off that I thought was going to be a year. Um, but it turned into 12. Mm-hmm. And that's when I came to the Zen Center. Why did you choose the Zen Center? Well, I didn't exactly choose it. I I stopped there with my idea of going to Japan. But when I talked to people and heard the horror stories, and I knew my (laughs) difficulties with, I I heard my, and I knew my difficulties with language. And I knew that down deep, I didn't want to be tortured by these people. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I said, "I, I, I don't. I'm I'm not up to that, you know. Um, <laughs> and and then I, I I just hit it off with people and felt I could I could do it there and people supported me, were generous and, and warm. Yeah, that San Francisco well. Zen Center I should and, add. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I rem- I arrived um, you know, a few months after Suzuki Roshi died and everybody was in tears and and uh, you were painting, getting everybody to paint the rooms white or something. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah, the city center. Remember, yeah. Yeah, the city center. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, <laughs> uh, it, it just felt comfortable. And comfortable in a way that was like, wow, I, 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 can, uh, I can do this here. And, and then actually I made a very strong contact with Dick. Yeah. Um, you know, for somebody my age at that time, he was quite appealing. How old were you? And I was like 20. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I was, I was uh, idealistic and all that stuff. And I was interested in Asian culture. And he talked a bit about it like he knew what was going on. And, and he was quite affirming of me and supportive of me in studying the things I studied and the ways I was going about it, uh, uh, um, which was a little odd because along with studying the Buddhist stuff, I was also studying Charles Olson poetry and, and uh, Ezra Pound and all that stuff. Which well, he was into that too. Yeah, he was totally into that. So, you know, it was weird things like I'm, I'm, uh, I think at some point at, at heart, at, um, at um, Tassahara, I was his anjan, mm. and uh, uh, I was uh, reading Ezra Pound's poetry 
on my own. Um, and the same day I was reading one of the canto poems, I go in to take care of his room and sitting out on his desk is that same canto poem. Stuff like that, you know? Mm. Um, um, but but he supported me. and How should I say? It's not so much like he supported me. He gave me license and affirmation to to do what I was doing as I was doing it within the strictures of, of what was required, as long as I fulfilled what was required of me at, at Dasahara and, and at the Zen Center. And, and uh, um, that was uh, extremely wonderful for me. Mm. But I, I, I initially, you know, I made good friends. I was happy to be... Uh, um, doing stuff, you know, whatever it was, uh, whatever work we did, you know, and I knew, I knew just, I was only there because I wanted to go to this monastery and do this practice. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't there like, oh, I've got to get laid or, oh, I want to have a relationship with something. That was sort of peripheral, but it, it I was just really focused on getting my ass to Tassahara to survive. Mm. that's my feeling was you know I was uh, I guess I was deeply confused and uh, trying to I don't know what figure shit out you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so um, and and, uh, you know Tassahara the Zen Center gave me the space to literally I'll call it come unglued but it wasn't like I went nuts you know it was just like I, I, to let things be. Yeah. And, and, uh, and th- that was very nourishing for me uh, up to a point. And then the, I realized at a certain point, many years later, you know, like, huh, uh, I, I can't mature here. I have to go someplace else. Yeah. But the, the other thing for me was meeting Philip Wayland. And, you know, uh, there are two things I did, which was, I decided, well, uh, you know, which was, uh, how shall I say, it's it's sort of um, OCD or something or focused. But I said, well, Dick's the Zen teacher. I'm going to be a Zen student and I'm going to learn from a Zen teacher. So I just um, focused on trying to develop a relationship with him pretty much and practice. And did that and then other things emerged from that. But uh, uh and then my relationship with Philip was, um, after a while, it was Dick and Philip that made it, in my experience, possible uh, uh, for my understanding of things to be able to be there at the Zen Center and survive, actually. Mm. Um, otherwise, I think I would have felt it was too um, not of imaginative enough or something. I don't know what, actually. You know, mm-hmm. it's sort of years ago, but but I remember uh, once everything hit, you know, uh, once 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 everything sort of fell apart, that that I realized, um, well, at some point I realized, well, this is a good place for people to come to train for a number of years. Exactly how many? I wasn't quite sure, but it also wasn't a place where necessarily one one like me, at any rate, would spend one's life. Yeah. 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 But it, it I, 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 the, when, when I realized the, um, 
I don't know what to call it. The word that comes to mind is the exposure I was afforded by being at the San Francisco Zen Center um, in the 1970s. The exposure I was afforded to life and insight into what's going on in the the world uh, and the world of Buddhism and so on was uh, it was it was an education that you couldn't for me that I would never have been able to access at Harvard. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. It was just you know to you know to 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 hang out to to have a little seminar with Masao Abe to to hang out with Michael McClure to you know all that stuff was just whoa. Mm. Wonderful. Mm. And San Francisco was so great in the seventies. I mean, geez. Yeah. Um, one thing I remember is um, uh, you and I were both involved in the very early eighties with Californians yeah. for a nuclear freeze. And yeah. Yeah. You, you no. became the president of the San Francisco chapter or whatever? Yeah, yeah. The San Francisco city and county whatever of for bilateral nuclear weapons freeze. Yeah. What and, county? And what actually, county? Uh, it's San Francisco County and city. So oh, city oh I see. The larger than the city. I don't know what the – that's what the title was. Oh, really? The, the name huh. of the chapter. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah – well, you know, and the other thing is I remember the World Suicide Club. Aha, yes. I yeah. love that. It's great. I yeah. tell people about that, and they think, wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I have it all up on, uh, uh, I think I have it on Cuke Annex now. Uh, but, uh-huh. you know, if you Google it, you can go there and uh, uh, World Suicide, the you know, and freeze, please. And I wrote many other anti-nuclear songs. They're all available there. No. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I remember you with the guitar and I remember you singing and, uh, uh it's wonderful. Huh. Uh, I, I, uh, um, yeah. And I remember going to a couple of places all dressed up and welcoming the world suicide club. Welcome. So-and-so. Yeah, like we that. welcomed Casper Weinberger, uh, Weinberger. and yeah. cheered him yeah. on. Oh, uh, criminal. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Don't he, worry, I'm in charge. Alexander Haig, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. 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 That was uh, really powerful stuff. You know, it it, um, um, it actually affected when I left the Zen Center to return, and I returned to Harvard. Um. I decided I would study international relations and U.S.-Soviet stuff. Uh, uh, as a result of the bilateral nuclear weapons freeze, I, I got involved in some U.S.-Soviet stuff, talking with David Harris. Oh yeah, and, yeah, and and uh, um, and these are the weird things. When Dick's weirdness started coming out, he he was like, he didn't like the idea that I was talking with David Harris. Oh yeah, because that was part of his uh, uh, his show, his yeah. Uh, salon. Yeah, yeah, and and you know I would just because I had that position, right? The president of the blah blah blah. I'd be invited to these events, and there I'd be, and there Dick be, <laughs> and and he would act like he didn't know who I was. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it is quite funny. <laughs> yeah. At any rate, you know. Yeah. It, but yeah, and and uh, that sounds like oh, I should be pissed off or something, but but I'm not at all. It was actually quite a teaching. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Quite amazing. I mean, it could have obviously it could be some other way, but but uh, but it wasn't. So, and that's that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. another thing I remember is um, you were one of the people that uh, he sent, Zen Center sent, to uh, oh, be yeah, with Nancy yeah. Wilson Ross yeah. uh, on the East Coast. And my yeah. memory is there were a number of people who did that. I think of you as uh, maybe the person who got along best with her or one of the people who got along best with her. Yeah. Is that right? No, this is very true. No, that's totally true. Nancy and I basically fell in love with one another. Um, um, it wasn't like it was easy. <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> but somehow, you know, all of her imperiousness and that type of stuff didn't phase me so much. <laughs> um, it was just like, wait, there's some really good stuff here. There's stuff to learn about life for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she used to treat me in many ways like an equal. So, so my first trip out there was, I to uh, to work at her summer place, and Linda Ruth was there, mm-hmm. and my job basically was just to, uh, you know, clear brush and creosote the house. Oh my and, God, that's terrible! Oh, it's horrible. I was soaked in creosote. Like, oh, that's terrible. It's bad yeah, yeah. stuff, it like man. Poison, poison city. Yeah. yeah. But in, in the middle of the North Woods, you know, your house is going to rot. So anyway, so I did that. But uh, and then uh, I would have we, we'd sit down for a formal dinner and so on. And um, we'd have what what uh, what I would call uh, somewhat intellectual conversations, literary and so on. And sometimes Nancy and I would get into it and have an argument mm. about something, you know, who knows what. And and uh, I didn't back down. It wasn't like I'm, you know, like, I don't know, shy, not shy or something. But I, on certain points, I wouldn't back down. And, and, and Nancy respected that I was like one of most of the Zen students didn't stand up for themselves. Mm-hmm. And on certain issues that I knew about. I said, well, that's not true. It goes like this. <laughs> and then we'd have it out. But doing that really earned her respect. Mm. Mm. And and she placed, she literally placed me in a different category, uh, I think, uh, based on that. And, and she was the first person I met in my whole life. Uh, how shall I say that? Recognized my intelligence and demanded it of me. Hmm. Mm. Uh, every place else I could just float by. I, and of course, she was extremely well connected. Uh, oh. as, as I recall, you uh, flew in a jet to somewhere like Florida or the Bahamas or something, and you were with uh, the guy who was head of the CIA or had been, and you went to... Uh, oh, you the, the jet was owned by the Mellons, and yeah. uh, one of the richest families in the old 
you know, East Coast aristocracy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was a, a painting on the plane like a Matisse or something. What was that? Yeah, there, there was there was a Picasso and a Brock. <laughs> and the plane. <laughs> on the plane. Uh, and, uh, um, yeah, they picked me up at Butler Aviation at LaGuardia Airport, the private section of the airport in the jet. And uh, we flew down to Upperville, Virginia, where he had a jet strip right on his property. And then he, I met Nancy and him and his wife and a guy Na named and then Jeff Wait a minute, Barrett. who's him? Him, Paul Mellon. Oh, all right. And we flew down all together to Antigua. Ah. Antigua in the Caribbean, not Antigua, Guatemala. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, they just had this stunning place there, and Nancy was invited to be there, and she brought me along, and uh, we stayed for a good two weeks. Really? We had dinner with the Melons. Yeah, we had dinner with the Melons every night and breakfast and a view of the Caribbean from our rooms, and uh, it was stunning. And, and, of course, that's where Dick Helms showed up. Yeah, that's it. I knew it was Richard. I was going, Richard, Richard. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, Helms, and, and he had just come back from. Um, he had been the ambassador to uh, to Iran. Oh, when when the uh, revolution happened. Oh, uh, and he didn't uh, become a hostage. He got out of there. He. Oh yeah, he got out of there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He. I mean, yeah. He. I mean, it sounds like he's the ambassador, but really he's CIA, right? So, so right. Um, yeah, yeah. So at any rate, and, and it was clear to me when I met him, what a fucking psychopath he was. Yeah. Oh, Helms. Yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. His, yeah, no, his eyes were like, you, um, how could you tell? But uh, I mean, it, um, I didn't exist in his eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, I could just feel that. And and um, it was just like, whoa. But, you know, uh, the Melons and the Scapes, who are Melons, um, were heavily invested in and supportive of private CIA businesses around the world. Yeah. 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 So all that was connected and... And, uh, but this was quite a learning experience because I, I got to hang out with Paul Mellon's um, um, how, what will we describe him? Art curator. Uh -huh. advised him on what to purchase and created his collection. Hmm. A guy named John Baskett who was just an Englishman. Just incredible, wonderful man. Yeah, he was and relatively young. He was in his 40s. Um I remember that, but you know, with Nancy, uh, uh, like uh, like Rick Levine and I have had conversation, and, and Rick said when he told uh, when he told his mother uh, what he he was doing, uh, 
supporting Nancy and Stanley at the time. Rick, I think, was there when Stanley was dying. When Stanley was dying, Dick was at Tassajara, and I was his Jisha. No, and but yeah, but yeah, Rick Levine. Yeah, was though in Old Westbury with them. Oh, I see. I was with Dick in the office when he was talking to to uh, Nancy Stan, uh, Stan, uh, Nancy Desmond Stanley. Yeah, Stanley Young. Yeah, uh, when they were talking, I mean, he was talking to him as he was dying, and I was there yep. with him. Yeah. 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 So that I was at Tassajara then. Oh. But I, yeah, yeah. I was but, at Green Gulch, actually. I was just his, uh, well, he called me MJ, oh. Main Jisha. Uh, there you go. So he had brought me down with him. Okay. Uh, yeah, I got you. Yeah, yeah I, I, I'm thinking this was 74. 73. If 73, it was 74, yeah. it would have been when I was uh, head monk there. She was so. Yeah, I, re- I remember that. Uh, so yeah. it could have been then, too. Yeah, yeah. But I, I uh, yeah, I, I was I was at Tassajara when that happened, but I didn't know much about it. Yeah. Know? But, and then, uh, and I loved my experience at Tassajara was so uh, um, very profound, uh, deep, and wonderful for me. Mm. Um, and then uh, I was asked to leave and go farm. Oh, you uh, went to Green Gulch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was, and I was like a twenty-three-year-old guy with nothing uh, and no way to get out of Green Gulch on weekends or anything like that. And, uh, uh, and I was working with horses, which I'd never done in my life. I'm just, just a kid from suburbia. Right. What was, uh, Steve Stuckey was working with them too, though, right? No, no. Steve had not come into his, his own yet, uh, there. Um, yeah, I had taken over from Tony Patchell, who was in deep depression with a bad back and whatever the hell else was going on at Green Gulch at the time, which, there was quite a bit going on, um, mm. much of which I, I don't know about. But but Tony became deeply disaffected, and he wasn't up to, uh, shall we say, transferring knowledge. <laughs> so so I I just learned how to put the stuff on the horse and horses and got dragged around. Yeah, to make a very good show for themselves. Uh, yeah. but the my time at Green Gulch became a true catalyst. Uh, it was maybe the most horrible time of my life. <laughs> huh? Yeah. Huh? Um, I, I, Steve and I didn't get along. I mean, you know, it's Wait not a minute. Like we who did, who in you? Steve Stuckey, who was the head of the fields and I didn't exactly get along, but we, it wasn't like we weren't, it wasn't like we were arguing or something. It was just, you know, we didn't connect in any way. And I think Reb was the head of practice, and I never connected with Reb. Mm-hmm. And I I felt like I just felt totally alone. Yeah. Huh. And you know there, there were crazy women, and uh, everybody else was married or having affairs. And, <laughs> and see, wait, like, wait, wait! What year is this? You know, it's when Evelyn Lentz was living there, and oh, Susan Evelyn Lentz was living there. Oh, yeah. wow, I forgot that. 
Wow. Yeah, Kathy Cook, and it was just really weird. Oh, wow. Evelyn Lentz, man, there's it. <laughs> I can tell you stuff about that. She's, yeah. No. She goes way back. Uh, no, Ben. Uh, mm. um, all right. Well, that, pardon me. Uh, that I had <laughs> for, I'd forgotten she stuck around that long. God. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, wow. It's really interesting. Oh, so uh, yeah, that was probably like um, 75? 76, something like that. Yeah. Right. Right. I, yeah, and I was at Tassar at 75. Mm. All right. It must have been you know, 76, 70. Uh, yeah, I was 70. Uh, might have been the fall of 76, something like that, or the whatever. Anyway, mm -hmm. somewhere in the middle there. And um, and I um, I made friends with Harry Roberts. He seemed to get all the the, the rejects, so to speak. Yeah, and, uh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So so hanging out with Harry was really good for me, mm. and uh, that was very powerful. Um, but you know, and and it was at Green Gulch that actually the opportunity to be with Nancy emerged. Oh. Um, because um, um, uh, I described my distaste for Green Gulch to Dick, ah. and uh, and and uh, the next thing I knew, I was offered to that summer to head out to the Adirondacks and be at her place and do that. Yeah, and and well, you know, you you were a perfect choice. I mean, uh, I was. You know, uh, about that time, I had started living in Bolinas half time, and yeah, I remember. Yeah. I was around Green Gulch uh, down, down at Mirror Beach too. Uh, yeah, and, and um, but but you had you had you had several things going for you, which uh, made you uh, appealing in Dick's eyes. And one is you'd gone to Harvard like him. He always. Yeah. Uh, was, yeah. uh, what would you say? Preferent, gave, gave Harvard people preferential oh, yeah. treatment. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, it, um, it's kind of funny. And there, there were a number of us there, like I know. And Peter and others. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but the other thing is you had, uh, you had, uh, uh East Coast manners. And so you were yeah, perfect for going to, uh, yeah. uh, Nancy, who's, um, yeah. You know, uh, Nancy and I, you know, I, I related with her some, and uh, we got along, but she was sort of like, all right, David, that's enough. <laughs> you know, yeah. you can only take so much. Uh, but um, yeah. you you yeah. meshed with her. And, and, and uh, you know, Paul Disco said something once. Um, he said, uh, Dick ha has a, a, like a magical psychic ability to oh, uh, size people up and know what they're good at, know what would work with them. Uh, uh, and I saw him do that. I saw people come to oh, yeah. Tassahara when we had just started, and he'd, he'd immediately ask them to stay. I mean, uh, and other people he wouldn't be interested in. It was like Paul Disco, Nils Holm. Uh, yeah. He already knew Dan Welsh. But, um, yeah. 
very quick, Nils told me that 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 like Dick the first day he met Dick, Dick told him he should stay and become a priest. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, go on. Yeah. Well, I, I felt I, I felt that connection with Dick. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I would say, you know, for, for a young kid, um, it was like, wow, this is Zen. We're, we're actually like communicating in this world, this space, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and that was utterly charming to me, um, mm. and helpful, uh, because it actually, uh, uh gave me a space to affirm and, and uh, but uh, at any rate, let's go back to Nancy, and we'll get done to Dick at some point. But yeah. you know, I agree there. But that capacity, really, that that ability, or uh, really, lended to his confusion as well. But at any rate, um, uh, so there I am at Green Gulch. I say that to Dick. Dick uh, says, "Okay." At some point, we, you know, in the typical Dokusan thing, you're going to blah, blah, blah. So I go there, and, and uh, first I'm there for the summer, and, uh, and Nancy and I get along, and, and Linda Ruth is, uh, you know, Linda Ruth being nice, Girl Scouty, and so on. And, <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and Nancy and I felt like we were having real conversations, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, and it was wonderful, and she appreciated uh, the stuff I was doing and my thinking and all that. And that was very helpful. But she she actually was the first person, as I said, who who recognized uh, whatever intelligence there is there and demanded it of me. And and no one else up to that point had done that. Um, and uh, um, that was a new world for me. That was that was also another nature of affirming. Um, she didn't feel um, I did. It wasn't like a competition, but uh, as a result, you know, I got to. Let alone that I flew down to Paul Mellon's joint and um, and other things. You know, I was given a tour with Nancy of of uh, of um, at a special time uh, in the Museum of Modern Art of. I can't remember whether it was Monet or Matisse show by um, by Mrs. Rockefeller. I won't. I could remember her name, her first name, but but wait a minute, Nancy and she were, Which which one? Yeah, I'm trying to. She was the president of MoMA at the time. Um, Maybe she was David but, Rockefeller Senior's wife. Uh, um, she was. She might be either David's or John's. Nancy was very close with John, but not with David. John was the older brother of David. Oh, you mean David, the younger Rockefeller? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I showed him around. Uh, I showed him and his wife around uh, Kyoto. Oh, far out. Yeah, they were great. Yeah. I really liked yeah. them. Oh, good, good. He was uh, Chase Bank. Um, well, he he was involved with. Uh, educational foundations around the world. That's all I heard about. I didn't hear oh, anything cool. about the business. Yeah, yeah no, I got you. Um, mm. uh, uh, Nancy was on the board of some of their foundations. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was also on the board of the Asia Society and the Japan Society. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and as a result, I got to meet those people. I got invited to places like dinner at Mary Burke's, you know. And I don't know who that is. Mary Burke. Uh, Mary and Jackson Burke have the best, the largest, they're dead now, largest collection of, of um, 17th century Japanese art. Um, there, she was on the board of the Museum of uh, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and hideously well connected. Um, <laughs> her husband, her husband, she was. Um, I always forget these guys' names. Um, the Dulles. She was part of the Dulles family. Oh, Dulles, were, John Foster uh, Dulles family. Dulles, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Hey, John. Why don't you explain yeah. who Nancy is? Why don't I explain who Nancy is? I, I uh, of course, this is only my view, but you know. Um, well, why would she, uh, what? What did she do that made her? She, uh, what, why these people? She was like this. Will sound strange. She was like a priest to these people, not in the sense of of that she did rituals or shit. But they felt that they could trust her and be her friend, and she didn't want anything from them. Yeah, but Nancy was a writer who wrote about Buddhism. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she, well, she started writing, um, writing about novels, right? About people and high society, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Sort of uh, 19th century novels in the 20th century that were picked up by whatever book of the month club and stuff like that. And, um, she studied, uh, she was a student of, of life from the perspective of, uh, the, the, the social register in New York and stuff. Mm -hmm. So she was quite aware of all this. Mm -hmm. um, and she was always, you know, she was the first woman to graduate from the university of Oregon, mm. um, in like 19, 18 or 19 or something like that. Yeah, she was from she was from Washington, right? Yeah, I think she grew up in Tacoma. Mm -hmm. uh, in Tacoma, she uh, she uh, uh, she met and was great friends with Mark Toby. She went the Nellie Cornish School was a big deal, which was this private art school, and she met Merce Cunningham and John Cage there. Mm. She met Mark Tolkien and all this. And she came back east. You know, she uh, Nancy was ambitious. Mm. Yeah. Well, it paid off. Yeah. No, she was tremendously ambitious. And um, she was also very attractive and very intelligent. Mm. Hey, I just got her on Wikipedia. Uh, uh, let, let me, all right, her first book, was 1932, and there's a series of books. Um, here's Westward the Women, 1944. Yeah, it turned into a movie. Yeah. Oh, really? Really? The Left Hand yeah. is the yeah. Dreamer. That's a cool Dreamer. title. Uh, Joan yeah. of Arc. Yeah. You know, uh, Mark Twain uh, was into Joan of Arc. That's very interesting. Uh, and then... Uh, uh, starting in 1960, Heroines of the Early West. Oh, no, that's not. Start, all right, here we are. 1960, The World of Zen, an East-West anthology. 
1966, Three Ways of Asian Wisdom, and uh, 1980, Buddhism, A Way of Life and Thought. Yeah, so I worked with her on that book. Oh, goodness. We literally read, we would read every day she would write or try to write, and, and we would read aloud what she was writing and back and forth, and we would talk over it. And she would rearrange it, and then we'd read it again. And um, her style of writing was that it had to um, be read aloudable. You could feel it mm -hmm. um, rather than think it, you know? Mm -hmm. That's and, good. And that the thinking, yeah, no, it's tremendous. So we would go over and over it. She was tremendously... Um, focused and disciplined, but her energies were flagging by then. Yeah, but she she uh, um, that book was very hard for her to write. Mm. Dick's feeling was that she was reaching areas where she 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 didn't have the language for the experience. Uh, um, well, good. She yeah. was she was reaching. Got yeah, it. no, totally. She was born in 1901. I know. Gee. She she uh she aged very well. I remember her in uh 1979 at Greens when I was yeah. the maitre d. She was yeah. doing good, man. No, no. She was a hot babe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, wow. And and that's the truth. And uh uh she used to say things to me, you know, you think when you get old that your sexual drive disappears, but it doesn't. Ah, <laughs> good for her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good for her. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Down, boy! <laughs> right. And also, <laughs> what I really can see how older men uh, become... You know, just the slightest positive uh, uh, message from a younger female, they'll, they'll start thinking, okay. oh, you know, uh, oh, Let's she and go. I could be together and she likes me or something. Uh, it's really, yeah. it's it's <laughs> it, it's just ripe for deluding oneself about how attractive oh, one totally, is. And totally, totally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's quite, you know, what a world, huh? Yeah, <laughs> the, uh, the human mind is just uh, well. I could say the male human mind is just a dick, but, <laughs> <laughs> but that's not exactly true. But it's uh, it's uh, a large portion of what has to be dealt with. Yeah, yeah, no kidding, no kidding. Yeah. Well, it's it's uh, has kept the uh, species going. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and and to to you know I was. I don't know. Have you ever heard of this uh, Japanese guy, Shinichi Hisamatsu, who was a Zen teacher, a Rinzai Zen teacher, lay guy who was also a tea teacher and a, and a academic at the University of Tokyo? Um, he died in about 84. Mm -hmm. Remarkable guy. He had a, they gave him a special uh, compound. Within the larger compound of Myoshinji, he had a small place. Mm. And... Uh, um, and he would do sashin. So I've been 
sharing this book with a number of people um, called the Critical Sermons on Zen, which are from the record of Linji in the last session he led in his 80s when he was sick and dying. And um, I forget what I was going to say, but he's just a remarkable guy. Um, what was that? Oh, yeah. He's talking about, in, in this last piece that I was sharing in the Dharma talk tonight, he's talking about um, not picking and choosing. He's also saying that don't make the passions bad. The passions are your awakening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Man. Totally. That, they're, they're, they're telling, when I feel that they're telling me I'm alive and and they can be uh, expressed, experienced, and expressed in different ways. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. So, so, so you know, when it's like uh, it, this is, a, I think for, I think for people in Zen, it had been and maybe continues to be from from certain uh, um, angry women in the Zen world uh, a problem, but uh, you know. Uh, um, guys, there are ways to include the feelings of sexuality and passion with someone without uh, screwing, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And and to try to not acknowledge it or not include it in your feeling and being with someone is like your, your, uh, it perverts things. Yeah, I agree. Uh, That's good. And, and it's just really important. Otherwise, the other thing is women don't trust you then. Yeah, yeah. Because they know there's something going on here. Yeah. I had a friend here, my best friend, actually, who died. Young guy. Oh. Young guy. He was, wasn't even 40 yet. And he had, he had oh. a beautiful, beautiful uh, Indonesian uh, uh -huh. partner, uh, which yeah. you don't do here much. But anyway, they did. Uh, and... Um, very soon after he died, a mutual friend uh, who's been here a long time, who's like my age, uh, and who's married married into uh, uh, Balinese royalty like 35 yeah. years ago, 40 years ago, he, he asked her if she'd be his second wife. Whoa. It freaked her out, man. And yeah. it really made everybody very uncomfortable. I don't think it should have. You know, she didn't have to be freaked out. She could have said, oh, well, that's very flattering, but no thank you. <laughs> yeah, I've got other things to do. Yeah, well, these are the freaky things, you know. It's um, it's quite fascinating for me uh, on the level of, of just working with these uh, young women who are, you know, somewhere between 17 and 25 um, and cultivating relationships and developing what counseling them shall we say trying to find ways to help them open up their own experience but uh, yeah uh, there's uh, one can't you know institutionally they're really sort of crazy about this but you you can't just exclude feelings and you can't exclude uh, that reality that there's these connections or these feelings amongst people there's there's, there's simply that energy and yeah. to pretend that there isn't is is detrimental to um, maturation. Yeah, yeah. And understanding. It's just horrible. 
So it's, anyway, it's quite wonderful. You know, I'm so deeply nourished by these young women um, uh, that it's it's really uh, very helpful for me. Yeah. And I, and I think helpful for them, I'm sure it is. But, uh, yeah, so these are, these are, this is just very important stuff. Hmm. Anyway, you know, Nancy, Nancy grew up in a world of um, her, they would, um, you know, read poetry and memorize poetry and read it aloud uh, in the family, in the drawing room by the fireplace type thing. Oh. So it was, she was um, um, part of a, I think, um, um, I, I won't remember the name of the family, um, but it you know, it was one of those uh, Washington families that goes back to New England type thing. Mm. So mm. when she moved east, she had a great aunt in Auburn, New York, which is upstate New York, just a little west of um, Syracuse, who mm-hmm. was, a uh, you know, a... Uh, uh, a landed gentry type group, or maybe they had money through um, manufacture of some form that was happening in upstate New York in the in the 19th century. Uh, enough certainly to have uh, servants and things like that. And that was like her finishing school. And then she went down to New York and she met this guy <clears throat> named Charles Ross, who happened to be the roommate of Paul Mellon at Yale. Oh. And she married Charles Ross. Oh. And through that process became friends with uh, Paul Mellon and Paul Mellon's wife, second wife, I think, a woman named Kathy Mellon is how she's known. Mm. Um, But over the years, uh, Nancy remained friends. Uh, She divorced Charles remained friends with Paul, married Stanley. And at one point, uh, um, Nancy was a seminal in uh, getting the Bollingen Foundation organized and the publishing of the works of Carl Jung. Oh, goodness. Huh. She, got, she got Paul Mellon and Kathy to go through Jungian analysis with Carl Jung. Wow. Hmm. I think the Mellon family was was uh, one of those that um, Schmedley Butler. You know who that is? Oh, sure. Yeah, I know Schmedley. that Schmedley Butler uh, said wanted to fund him to overthrow uh, uh, oh, yeah. uh, Roosevelt, uh, and oh, yeah. uh, that, you know they wanted him just to take an army right in, take over from Roosevelt. And uh, yep, because he was the most highly decorated general and it was just, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, he ratted on him and then nobody would believe him. I know. I, I've read <laughs> all this this crap. It's just just stunning that what, you know, what it's well, stunning isn't even the word. It's just criminal. What doesn't occur in the history of the United States, huh? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> it's one continuous it's just, crime. <laughs> it's one continuous crime from the beginning. It's just <laughs> this is this is samsara. Hey? It's yeah. never been any different. It doesn't have to be this way, but it's never been any different. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's, just, it's quite a mix of 
really great stuff and really awful stuff. Really horrible shit sometimes. Yeah, I, I uh, so um, what was I thinking about Smedley? So Smedley, so yeah, and um, what's his name? The the airplane guy who flew to Europe. Oh, Charles Lindbergh. Yeah, yeah. Charles Lindbergh was part of that group. That's right. Yeah. It's just like crazy. Yeah, Lindbergh uh, uh, sort of ruined his and reputation. Lindbergh was a hero. <laughs> Lindbergh was a hero of Dick's when Dick was a young guy. That's right. Yeah. And, I don't know that Dick would have known this, but, you know, what do I know? Yeah. Uh, but um, also, Anne Morrow Lindbergh was a uh, yeah. a, a woman who uh, knew Nancy and who uh, oh, yeah, uh, practiced Zazen some and was yeah. involved with, oh, I forget their names, these these uh, East Coast women that Yvonne knew and uh, that. Yeah. Well, Mary Farkas, the first Zen Institute. Right, right. Um, there you go. Um, um, Nancy uh, used to sit Zazen in the 30s with uh, Sokayan. Oh, wow. Uh, Sasaki. Gayon, isn't he Ruth Fuller Sasaki's? He might be Ruth Fuller Sasaki's hus- uh, husband. Yeah, yeah. Right. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So she knew Ruth, uh, but she knew Sasakian. Uh, uh, and uh, that's where uh, Margot Wilkie and, and other people get pulled into the, uh, what's his name? Edo operation. Right. Yeah. Right, and but I I just want to say that Sokeon founded, oh, in the '30s, the first Zen Institute. I'm not sure it was called that yeah. at the time in New York City, yeah. and that is really yeah. the first really established Zen thing in America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was like, um, I used to read. They had a I forget what was it called. Their newsletter. Um. I've got the one. Thing. I've got the one with the uh, 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 with the uh, obituary for Suzuki, the memorial article for Suzuki. I've no, got it on cute dot com. That well, the book was Zen Dust. That uh, I know. Oh, I know Zen Dust. Yeah, uh, uh, that's a great book. Quite, oh, I fully agree. I um, I had some uh, wonderful epiphanies reading that book and. Um, and connecting it, of all things, to Trungpa Rinpoche huh. and his teachings regarding Shambhala. Huh. Um, it was quite powerful because um, the formality of Zen dust and the formality of the telling of the Zen stories is, is so different, in my mind, from the Blue Cliff record or from the, uh, um, the Book of Serenity, um, the way the koans are presented and so on. Uh, um, and there was some real resonance with the uh, the forms and the ways uh, that um, the Trungpa Rinpoche uh, categorized some of what I'll call the the different spaces of mind in the Shambhala practice. You know, hmm. you know, it's a funny thing. I I say this to people, and it's um, I say that uh, um, um, Zen gave me Shambhala, and Shambhala gave me Zen. Mm. And uh, what I mean by that, I mean, that sounds, you know, weird, right? But but uh, most of the people who practice with Trumper Rinpoche couldn't fucking sit still. <laughs> uh. And 
And most of their practice was uh, either intellectual or passionate. Right. <laughs> he asked me, Trump asked me to come uh, lead meditation at a, a seminars. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I would visit, but I didn't want to be part of it. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. But I, I, I think I felt, you know, well, um, I just felt it was too wild for me. Um, but I was a young guy. But but later, uh, as I penetrated his 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 uh, his teachings and and read them thoroughly, I began to see this resonance of Zen throughout it. But, yeah. Uh, I uh, I uh, there was something about being able to sit still and um, do zazen in relationship with doing these things called the sadhanas and the visualizations that um, made the visualizations a non-intellectual activity. Whereas most of the people who practiced them from the Shambhala world, because they couldn't sit still, um, it was all a sort of cognitive intellectual imagination. Hmm. On the other level, um, Zen is something more than bowing to and from your cushion, you know, or knowing how to walk. It's it's uh, literally being present with all the details of just your and my experience of wherever we are, mm-hmm. and uh, and Trumpa was awake to that. Yeah, and that brought me alive, and that connected those two for me tremendously. And yeah. Anyway. Yeah. But I I had uh, you know as a result of David I I got initiated into that whole thing and and while I was. Well, I was also practicing with, with Norman to develop the, the, to the transmission piece. And I was actually on the board. I was actually co-chair of the board of directors of the Boston Shambhala Center. <laughs> of what? Boston <laughs> Shambhala Boston, training? Really? Boston Shambhala Center, yeah. yeah no yeah. kidding. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And, but, I, but even there, I was somewhat of a weirdo, you know. But, uh, and the older people, the old the old what did they call them, old dogs, didn't so much trust me, but the young, younger ones did. But, but um, at a certain point, I realized that, uh, too, there, that the way this guy, the Sakyong, was running things, that nobody had any freedom of expression mm. with regard to the Dharma, and that this was crippling people. So I said, I'm not signing up for this. Uh, mm. uh, so mm. now I, I wander around with uh, this transmission thing and just, you know, practicing and saying what I say and do what I do with people. Mm-hmm. Um, at any rate, uh, back to Nancy. So in the 30s, she's she's aware of this and doing it. Um, and she's also highly connected with, um, what are those people called? The, uh, the Whitney's. Who? Whitney, the Whitney family. Uh huh. I don't know. Um, she, she, her house. Well, the Whitneys were at one point. Um, um, the woman who married this guy Elmhurst, and I forget her name, but I can easily find it. Um, was the richest woman in the world in the twenties. Mm-hmm. And she was a Whitney inheritor. Nancy lived in the gatehouse on the Whitney estate. Oh, <laughs> that and the Whitney estate was Apple Green. That's where they lived, but they sold it 
they sold their properties there and moved to Kentucky so they could be with their horses and get away from Jews. <laughs> because the Jews were buying up all of the, the high-end real estate around town and making it, you know, something. Uh-huh. And that really pissed them off, and they wanted to get out of town. So, wow. But, wow. Mistake. That was in the 50s that they moved. But it also yeah. got Nancy's book, um, uh, Western the Women, made into a movie because uh, Sonny Whitney at some point was into producing movies. How did it do? Uh, I don't know how well it did. I think it was just, you know, a typical Western of the 50s type thing. It wasn't a John Ford production, but, you know. Yeah, what was it called? I I think it was still called Westward the Women, but I'm not sure. Westward the Women. All right, let's yeah. see. Well, and it was about the centrality of women to bringing culture and life and supporting families and stuff um, um, in the West. Yeah. At any rate, she also, so she, this Elmhurst, this woman who became Elmhurst, um, created Dartington Hall. Oh, wait a minute. Let me comment on Westward, the women. Yeah, sure. We have the 1951 movie, and we have the 2021 uh, oh. TV series. Uh, I love it. It was definitely the 1951 movie. <laughs> it's called Larry Karaszewski on Westward, the Women. But these are things I'm aware of, but they're researchable to fix, fill in the... Westward, the Women has a 7.6 IMDb rating. That's very good. Yeah. Robert yeah. Taylor, Denise Darcel. Hope Emerson, go. John McIntyre. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very good. So she used to know all these, these people. Yeah. Like Robert Taylor and stuff. She used to know Charles Lawton. She used uh, to know all these people. Uh-huh. And, and uh, um, her husband was a, play, a Broadway play producer, Stanley Young. Oh. Huh. And he was partners with... Um, Roger Stevens, who became in the Kennedy administration the head of the uh, the Ken well it couldn't be the Kennedy administration the Johnson administration the Kennedy Center. Mm. Roger Stevens, mm. who uh, sometime early in his career in the late fifties or early sixties purchased the um, owned the uh, Empire State Building. <laughs> wow. Uh, and I remember him saying to me his 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 uh, favorite favorite his favorite people to compete with in business were Harvard MBAs. Huh. my goodness! Hey, because how long were, were so, you? They were so predictable. Pardon yeah. me. Because they were so predictable, he said. Yeah. Oh, ha 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 ha! Yeah, yeah. Um, that's good. Uh, how long were you uh, with uh, Nancy there? Uh, um, you know, it's, uh, I, I really have to think about that. It was, it was three years, but even after I left the Zen Center, I would visit regularly up to her death. Wow. You were there three years? Yeah. Yeah. No, people at the Zen Center were getting nervous. Ha! <laughs> that is something. Wow. 
Uh, did you go back to the Zen Center after that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I came back and I worked. And that's when I um, I was on off and on for three years. It wasn't like one three-year block. Oh, I but, see. But, yeah, I, I came back and that's when um, I think uh, I became Dick's assistant for a while. Yeah. Working with Pat Phelan. Mm. And... Um, and then, uh, and uh, the Dutch girl. Oh, um, oh, I know who you mean. Uh, yeah, she's she's been very generous with Cuke uh, archives. I oh, starts oh, with, her name starts with A. Uh, I. Adeen. 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 Yeah. 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 She's there in Holland right now. Hmm. And exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I. I um, um, it was really when I was Dick's assistant that things started to come off the tracks in relationship to him. But uh, in relationship to what? To Dick. Yeah, yeah. My relationship with Dick began to come off the tracks. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Go yeah. on. Well, yeah. It's just um, he. Um, he, he was totally controlling and manipulating and would always blame me for things that I had no idea were going on. <laughs> uh-huh. So I sort of like, this is really weird. It's like, and and people like, uh, what's his name? Ed Satizan would come up to me and say, God, it's hard enough to do your job, but when somebody's, you're white rafting down a river and somebody's throwing boulders from the cliffs above... <laughs> But it was, you know, he would just like, um, it would be crazy. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, at any rate, at a certain point, it, it just became like, this is really stupid. You won't, don't do, you don't want to do this work and you're blaming me for it not getting done. Huh. But, um, uh, in certain situations, yeah. Well, did you did you uh, state that or think uh, that? In some, uh, I more thought it, and yeah. then I expressed it in a um, in a in just my demeanor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it became unworkable. Yeah, it wasn't. You know, I didn't feel there was a space where I could, but you know, but that was me then. So, so what happened? So what happened is I was no longer an assistant and I was working in other places. And then I started doing this stuff like um, I think I worked in the treasury. And then I then I started doing the uh, the um, the uh, nuclear stuff and that type of thing. And I moved to an apartment up the street at 364 or something. And then people started getting nervous that I was doing too much stuff outside Zen Center. And they offered me the Eno job at the city. But I'd have to move back into the into the Zen Center, and I said, "Yeah, I'd love to do the Eno job." So I moved back in, and and did that for a while. And yeah, so I, you know, I did the Eno job, and and um, um, that's when it's, the latter part of that is when uh, people began when the whole Tik Nhat Han thing and stuff like that. Wait a minute, the whole Tik Nhat Han thing. What does that mean? Well, well, not Tik Nhat Han. When when the whole um, Mrs. Hawkins thing, I can't remember her name, uh, started, blew up. Oh, 
Yeah. And it had to do with that Thich Nhat Hanh retreat. Oh, that's right. I forgot that at, at Tassajara. Yeah, yeah. So, so by then I was like, um, I I knew so much about Dick that other people didn't know. Yeah. That it was very untenable for me to be with him and with them, in some way. Yeah. I can't even imagine how how, for example, Lucy felt. But you know, it was just um, really weird. But I also. In the strangest way, too, I felt totally compassionate to him. I under I had some understanding of the complexity of his mind. You know, it's like, geez. Uh, but he didn't want to have any. He wanted to pretend that. Uh, I I'm making that up. I don't know what he wanted, but it seemed like he. Um, uh, he he wasn't happy with me being that familiar with uh, other aspects of his life. Yeah. 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 So. And for me, it didn't bother me that much, but it bothered me that, um, that he wanted me to, he had some idea that he could tell me what to do about my life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I thought, well, okay. (laughs) And, and, and oh, okay. Uh, so what happened is, is uh, when I when I saw that, and I saw what I saw when I what blew my mind is when I saw him playing with her kids, and you know you can just feel somebody's body, and I was like, holy shit, I don't believe it. And um, playing with what? Playing at Masahara, I was at that retreat. Uh, yeah, Thich Nhat Hanh and other people. And and uh, at a certain point, Dick was just openly, incredibly affectionate with her kids, swinging them around and being with her and with her, and you're being nearby. And you're, I just whose said, kids? Um, Mrs. Hawkins. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, "Holy shit! They're having an affair. This is unre- unbelievable." And he is like, just out there. You know how long that affair lasted? No, I don't. That no. weekend. No. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was it. I it. <laughs> it I was it. The, the poor guy. She was the, the face that sank uh, his ship. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's so horrible. Yeah. Well, no, no. I don't. I don't. Yeah. That's um, well. I. I mean, he went. He's. He's doing great. And he and Lucy uh, are close. He and Anna are close. Uh, wonderful. You know. Um, you know, he had a, you know, he had a a midlife crisis, you could say, and uh, but he came back from it. Good, good. I'm happy. Yeah. Yeah. I, my experience of I say this to people, and they look at me. My, my experience of Dick was he was one of the best things that happened in my life. Yeah. Absolutely. Curious. Where would where was would it? where would I be? Where would so many of us be without him? Yeah. He made it all possible. Yeah, I fully agree. And I say this to this day, and, you know, there are people who are wandering around the Zen Center now who are still, like, they're angry. It's kind of weird. Huh. People who actually, too, who are new to the place, who've never even met the guy and have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that happens to founders. You yeah, know, I know. The, the it, founders it, it, frequently get kicked out, and then other people 
who uh, yep. more the they're like the bureaucracy takes over or uh, another group takes over or something. So he created a strong organization that uh, was sort of like his. It, it was the uh, what they call the imperial period, and yeah. uh, it um, you know it wanted uh, democracy and other things, and so it it changed. I, I, I agree. Yeah, I, I think it's um, there. There, you know, I, 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 as I just said, I, I uh, at some, I didn't say this, but as I said, I love the guy. But and yeah. at the same time, at a certain point in our relationship, it was like talking to a dotty old uncle. <laughs> Everything would go around in circles. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And, and 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 there would never be any traction about support of me doing other things and i was like whoa yeah yeah this this is not helpful yeah (laughs) and and that's when i began doing other things right so what did you do well that's what the the nuclear stuff was uh and and things of that nature outside and that's when i began making plans uh so if I remember correctly, and I may be off, but I was Eno, and um, I had to sort of argue with him so that I could come down to this Thich Nhat Hanh retreat. Because uh, I was friends with uh, Nelson Foster at that time, and I was friends with Bob Aiken oh. and the Buddhist Peace Fellowship thing, which was nascent. And I wanted to be there. And I knew Andrew Cooper. So I was like, these are my buds. Yeah. Um, and this is what I'm about, you know, nuclear shit, Russian shit, so on. Um, and so I prevailed and I was able to go there uh, and he didn't particularly like it, as I remember. But, you know, I don't think it was a big thing, but it was just for me, it was because you're standing up to this person mm. at that time for me. Yeah. Uh, but but so I went and, and then everything unfolded and I had already planned to leave the Zen Center. And what happened is I en- I ended up, but I decided to stay for another year or so um, um, to help in any way that I could. With the transition. Huh? The transition. When I got back to the city um, and, you know, in Chosan, and they're having conversations and they are like, it's like they didn't know who Dick Baker was. Yeah, that's how I experienced it. I, I, I was sort of like, well, what's new? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What, where have you people been? What's going on here? Right. Um, a, lo- a lot of blinders. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I capture that. Yeah. 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 So go on, go on. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so then, uh, so I stayed for a year, I, I think a year uh, or or so beyond what I would, had planned. And then um, I left, I want to say in sometime, I want to say in 84 to return to Harvard. Mm-hmm. Um, it was something I felt I needed to complete. 
And so I left and did that. Um, mm. And and that was an amazing entertainment. <laughs> mm. uh, it, it was, uh, um, I don't know, you know, but, but that's where I went after that. And, and also I, you know, for me, I felt like, God, here I am 30, whatever years old, I was 34 years old. And, and I grew up in New York. Uh, I went to Harvard for a while. I've been at the San Francisco Zen Center. I don't even know what, I don't even know how to make a living. What's making a living about it? What do people actually suffer about? What do they worry about? What's all this stuff? Mm-hmm. So um, I felt I had to be exposed to that in some way. And I had to assure myself that actually I wasn't hiding by being at the Zen Center, that I could actually uh, make a living and be in the world, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So I, I went about organizing that, yeah, and did okay. What did you do? Oh, um, I studied there. It's interesting. I, for me, it's interesting. I studied international relations for a moment. And then I realized that these people don't want to, um, how should I say, have peace with the Russians. They're making too much money and too many careers. Um, and I switched to uh, international political economy and studied development, what they called development at that time. Mm-hmm. And I found this wonderful professor um, uh, who, a guy named John Montgomery, who was actually the first, um, uh, the uh, the Soka Gakkai gave a ton of money to Harvard to create a world peace chair oh. at the Kennedy Business School. Yeah. And, and John That's... Montgomery was the first chair, oh. the first person to be the chair. Wow. And he was my advisor. Yeah. Wow, that is very interesting. He was a wonderful man. Yeah, yeah, he was a wonderful man. And I had marched with Soko Gakai, banging drums and so on. Uh, Wow. So it was fun. That is something. Wow. Yeah, um, people forget that sometimes about them because the Nichiren Shoshu. uh, Yeah, I know. Which they're they're split from them now, aren't they? Yeah. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, you know it's a rather fanatical, uh, maybe the most yeah, fanatical uh, branch uh, of Buddhism. Yeah, the fundamental evangelists of of, uh, of Buddhism. Yeah. That's right. Do you that's... know that um, T- Tina Turner and um, uh, the piano player, the black Herbie Hancock. Herbie Hancock. A lot of is 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 a Buddhist Nichiren. Yeah, well, Nichiren Shoshu, because Nichiren, yeah, Nichiren Shoshu. Uh, is uh, more is more in the fold. Uh, well, he teaches, he chants, chants, Namo, whatever. Yeah. Whenever I hear a a uh, a uh, an African American entertainer or yeah. athlete is a Buddhist. Every time yeah. I find it's Nichiren Shoshu. It's very interesting. Yeah, no, I agree. They um, So even at like Wellesley, uh, the black kids, um, when they do it, they're not doing it now. But when I first arrived, there was a group of them who would get together and chant. Namyo Renge Kyo. Huh. Yeah, they just loved chanting. Yeah. And they were somewhat fanatical about it, of course. But uh, um yeah, so it's it's uh, quite appealing to people. 
to black people. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. But anyway, so there I was, and did that, and and uh, uh, um, I was with Carol Rankin at that time, and she was dying. Oh, oh right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was taking care of her. I was with her. We were living in an apartment. I was, you know, doing my thesis at Harvard. It was really kind of weird, and uh, and I was also so strange. We were staying at the Cambridge Buddhist Association. Then at a certain point, they kicked Carol out while she was sick and dying. And I was like, I said, I'll never have anything to do with a Buddhist sangha again. You mean Nancy? Uh, you mean Elsie uh, Mitchell's group? Yeah, Elsie Mitchell's, the board made a decision. Maureen what? was going to ordain Carol. And who, who was? The board who, was did, who was going to ordain? Maureen. Maureen, uh, I forget her last name. Maureen, Maureen Stewart. Stewart was going to ordain Carol, and they were very close. And then one day, Maureen came in stricken and said, you have to leave. And she didn't stand up, or she may have tried to stand up to Elsie, but... It didn't work. It was, was Elsie um, really involved? I mean, Elsie used to tell me that, you know, the board was running it. and. She oh, didn't. yeah. Well, then I don't know who the board was because uh, um, at some point I don't even know who the board was. And it might have been, um, what was her name? Sheila, La, Sheila, French name. Her father was a scholar. Um yeah. Anyway, I won't remember. Yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think Elsie was necessarily involved. Yeah. It was she was earlier, but I see that was okay. later yeah, on. You may know you may know a lot more than I do. No, no, I don't. I, I, yeah. but you know, I, I, I visited Elsie there. Uh, uh, I have extensive stuff about her, like forty pages on oh, cool. uh, dot com, and uh, she, I love it. And, uh, you know, when I, I was there, I saw you, uh, when I went there about something. Well, actually, Nancy's brother, uh, the, the head of Fidelity, uh, asked to see me. Elsie's brother. Yeah. yeah uh, oh, he did. Ned Johnson. So I went and yeah. met with, I met with him for two hours. Uh, wow. uh, they, they picked me up in a limousine at the airport. Yeah. And uh, he once uh, was asked what he's reading uh, by, you know, a business magazine. And he said, uh, I'm yeah. reading a book called Thank You and OK, An American Failure in Japan. Uh, but, yeah, but you know what Elsie said? Elsie said, he's completely dyslexic. He can't read. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, I love it. that was very nice. Well, he and he he came, he was a man of his word, as I understand it, in supporting the Zen Center and setting them up, even when at the point, too, when he decided it was not going to happen any longer. Yeah. What do you mean? I'm, I'm, I, I think, uh, uh, if I remember correctly, and this might be 10 years or so ago, um, he set the Zen Center up with some dough again and, and said goodbye. But, uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh well, they were very, he and uh, Anne-Marie Soulier, uh, they were very supportive of the Zen Center for a long time. Yeah. Of course, his father was. And, yeah, uh, um, uh, but, 
it was sort of secret. It was family fund. It wasn't. Uh, oh no! It wasn't, no, uh, it wasn't Fidelity yeah, no. Foundation. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Uh, I understand that. Yeah. Yeah, but the, they were good lord. They go way back. To, they, they were even involved with giving money for Tassahara. Uh Yeah. Um, I remember some stories about Suzuki Roshi visiting there and and Dick visiting with him. Yeah. Oh. It, Ned's father, Ed Johnson, who really made Fidelity, uh, yeah. he he was just totally enamored with Suzuki Roshi, but he also liked Dick a lot. And no, he, that's what I understand. And oh, I yeah. Dick implying that he might, he might take a job there or something. Well, he went and yeah. spent six weeks there uh, yeah. as their guest, and uh, he took a... a uh, he left Japan while he was living in Japan and just one day he showed up at Zen Center like in 1970 and Suzuki uh -huh. Roshi didn't know what he was doing there and he just said hello and it said he was going to spend some time with uh, uh, you know with Fidelity's guest on the East Coast and yeah. uh, he went there and uh, he told me he spent most of his time just going around telling uh, talking to people about uh, how the the war in uh, uh, Vietnam was wrong and yeah. shit in and stuff like that. Uh -huh. That was always very anti-war was always very big to him. Uh, I know, and anti-nuclear as well. Anti-nuclear, mainly anti-nuclear weapons. Wanting to freeze nuclear weapons, having sensible nuclear weapons policy instead of an insane suicidal one. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he, he was very supportive of that. So, you know, he was supportive of me when most of the Zen community was not, at least openly, of, uh, I don't know the most of the Zen community, but the... The, um, the hierarchy? Certain people. The hierarchy wasn't so supportive of me taking people out to go sit Zazen in front of the, the nuclear company Foremost or Beptol or at the gates of Livermore or things like that, which I used to do. And and Dick was very supportive of that. Oh, that's yeah. great. Yeah, he did that earlier, yeah. that sort of thing earlier yeah, I know. on uh, I in know. the early 60s. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. Green Gulch was sending a, uh, uh, a group to go have silent meditation in Mill Valley uh, once a week. And, uh, and that, there was a lot of support from the Zen Center in time. It was just, you know, it's... It's, it's a, a while. Yeah, it's yeah. totally cool, and I, I understand. I mean, what, you know, uh, um, uh, uh, yeah, it just, everything takes longer than some of us would like. Yeah. <laughs> But that's okay. That's the way it is, you know. Yeah. The same thing that, in a sense, what happened to me in business is, is I really focused on something which was, uh, well, first of all, you know, I got this degree and, and then I didn't have any money, any job, something like that. But, you know, through Nancy, Paul Mellon gave me uh, $10,000 a year. Oh. For my time at Harvard. Oh, very nice. Wow. Yeah, and, and the other thing about Harvard is they gave me a complete um, scholarship. Oh. As long as I maintained a, um, 
a B plus or more average. So you had a scholarship and ten thousand a year. Yeah. Pretty to, good. To pay rent and I could eat. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, you you earned it through your through your uh, righteous practice. There you go. That's uh, what do they call that? Merit. Yeah. Merit. Yes, you acquired yeah. merit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, what what now? What did you major in at Harvard? Uh, I uh, international political economy is what I called it, and and because I was an older guy, I got to uh, most of my work was done in. Um, um, seminars and graduate seminars. So my professor, this guy, John Montgomery, used to teach um, uh, government officials from around the third world how to survive unstable political circumstances and get positive things done mm. um, so that people could eat and services could happen and things like this. So I, I got to meet people from, you know, India, Indonesia, wherever, you name it, South America, so on, who, who were um, trying in the face of corrupt governments and everything else to, uh, to make things happen in a way that took care of people. Mm-hmm, and it was mm-hmm. quite an enlightening experience. So there's a certain level of, of um, interaction that takes place at Harvard. <laughs> uh, once you... Um, gain access that is at, at a different level of education and um, um, it's more about ideas and conversation and how to do stuff and it's, it, it was really uh, rewarding that I finally made that contact with that professor and was able to take those seminars and I learned quite a bit And but I I, um, I didn't want to be an academic so I um, I said, well, I guess I'll go into the business world, but I had no um, no connections, so I um, I ended up going into the uh, uh, first the insurance business, and then I became the um, um, uh, we developed a, a regional financial planning firm. It was huh. called New England Advisory Group, and I developed the investment advisory and brokerage division of it. And um, and focused on that for a number of years, and was really engaged and uh, so on. And then at a certain point, it just became like, "This is destroying my mind. Huh. <laughs> I can't. This this is not uh, intellectually stimulating, and it's not benefiting society. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's it's really this whole business." is just um, exploiting people. So you felt it was not right livelihood? No, wasn't at all. So what did you do about that? Well, um, I became a professional sailboat captain. <laughs> uh-huh. I, I, uh, I, uh, and then I did a sailboat race around the world and spent a number of years supporting myself in Jessa by uh, being paid to sail boats around the world and uh, to um, and I would take on crews who would pay tuition tuition to learn how to blue water sail and navigate and so on. Huh. And 
Uh, I did that for a number of years. Do, do you know Larry Hansen? Uh, I know of Larry Hansen. Um, in fact, we're friends on Facebook, and I know that he does the uh, the Canadian version of the um, uh, Yachtmaster training up in Vancouver. He has a beautiful boat that uh, that is something, the type of boat that I would have bought uh, had I bought a boat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I did a podcast yeah. with him not long ago. Uh, oh, good. Uh, I remember reading something about him talking about, oh, it was when Diane died, Diane de Prima. He spoke about driving across town in a Volkswagen van or bug to uh, to sit with Suzuki Roshi. Yeah. Mm, right. Yeah, he was he was living with uh, her. It's interesting. He wasn't oh. he wasn't a hippie really, but uh, uh-huh. he he was really close with the the most hippie of the hips. You know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so. Um, yeah, well, that's amazing. And so, uh, had you been sailing before? I mean, I, I don't think you went from the business and just immediately started teaching sailing. <laughs> there had to be a learning period. Yeah, well, what happened was uh, I started, uh, I went sailing. A friend invited me to go sailing with him on his boat in the Caribbean. And um, it was, he said, it was like you were a natural. I just got on the boat, felt at home, knew what to do, when, how to helm, so on, and learned and sailed a lot with him. And then I started sailing with a number of other different cabins, captains doing deliveries around the, the East Coast and down to the Caribbean and stuff. And then I signed on to do that. Um, I applied to do this race around the world and I was accepted but many people were accepted, but there was huge attrition in the training. <laughs> and by the time the training was done and uh, I was a professional sailor, and by the time the race was done, I was a master sailor. You know? Wow. So, That's great. Um, That's great. No, no, it's spectacular experience. Uh, uh, long distance sailing was the closest I've ever come to the experience of, for instance, being at Tassajara for 90 days. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. Uh, and I, I experienced it like uh, once the land fell out of you and I was out at sea, um, I didn't care when we made it to where we were going. <laughs> uh-huh. Wow, that's amazing. I was just really, I was really at home and uh, wow. happy to be out there with whatever happened. But, wow. you know, when I came back from that race, I um, uh, I couldn't sleep in a bed, and I couldn't sleep in the house. I couldn't sleep for more than four hours at a time, and I would get up in the middle of the night and go outside. I would sleep on the porch. I'd roll up on the, on the couch. It was just really weird, and I couldn't be in buildings you know, modern buildings that had the sealed windows and so on. Um, just the air felt like uh, my skin wasn't breathing. Mm. It's wild. It, it was stunningly uh, exhausting and um, awesomely beautiful. But at a certain point, at yeah. a certain point, it just came clear to me. This may sound crazy, but uh, um, um, that I 
although this was better than the financial industry, that I wasn't helping people with suffering. Yeah. That that format could not help people as I should. And that's what, um, that's what turned me back towards practice. Of, uh, how shall I say? It wasn't like I wasn't practicing. I don't know how to describe it, but it's like to become, become visibly a practitioner. Mm-hmm. Um, and visibly a priest, if you will. However, mm-hmm. I am that now. Uh, I decided I had to do that. Yeah. Mm. Wow. And then, and then I just switched back. And by that time, Jessa had gotten accustomed to uh, not me not making a ton of money, and we'd adjusted our. Oh, tell us who Jessa is. Oh, Jessa is this incredible woman who's my wife. Uh huh. Amongst other things, like my best friend and buddy. I remember when you all got together, you, you told me you, you were with this wonderful skater. Was it ice skating? Or? Yeah, yeah. She was a uh, she was a short track speed skater. A what? She a short track speed skater. Oh. And she was on the national team, or vying for the national team. Uh huh. And and she was. Uh, at that time, she was in her mid-30s. Mm. So um, it's quite remarkable. And, and uh, uh, I met her in May. Uh, I proposed in August. We got married in December. And I had no idea I was going to propose. It just fell out of my mouth. We were doing something together in my kitchen on Appleton Street in Cambridge. And... Uh, and we got married. And, and this, too, she was going back and forth to um, Marquette, Michigan, in the Upper Peninsula, to the Olympic Training Center for short track skating. So we planned our, meeting, our wedding in 1989 through faxes. Uh-huh. <laughs> David Schneider married us. I asked Phil to marry us, but he said, I don't marry people. Uh-huh. Um, and David came out and married us, and we we uh, had this outrageous wedding, yeah, party. It was terrific in a in a large warehouse space, uh-huh. overlooking what's called Fort Point Channel, in the setting sun, and it was just uh, uh, wild. And we had we had a uh, African Afro pop jazz band mm. with a man named Stan Strickland, who's a local musician was the head of who played music for us we had uh, instead of a wedding cake we had a fresh caught sashimi tuna mm. that we stuffed into one another's mouth and we had uh, hard cider regular cider and um, and uh, whatever they call that small batch beer and some French pastries for for food and danced into the night yeah mm. it, we, we had a wonderful time Wow, and and there were like, it was crazy. It was like there were at least three hundred people there. Yeah. Oh wow, that's great. <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah, we had a blast. You know? Yeah, but but uh, and we've been through all sorts of shit together. You know, I mean, people would say to her, "How can you let him do that?" And she'd say, "How can I not?" Like go off and sail for three months or blah blah blah. Yeah, that's a good relationship. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, no, I think so. I think so. And, you know, yeah. we've all had our, she's also a fine artist and she's, uh, uh, she's an incredible cook and uh, she's intelligent and remarkable. She, her father was a relatively famous, well, actually famous within a, a, a field of architectural photography, which he pretty much, he and another fellow pretty much created. Um, hmm. And he used to photograph people like um, I.M. Pei and Philip Johnson and Gropius and people of that nature um, would have nobody else but him photograph their uh, their architecture. Oh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. She grew up in a Philip Johnson house. <laughs> ah, well, I'm not familiar with who that is, but well, he's he's a Philip Johnson is a well. You Google that, you'll see. He's a real jerk, but <laughs> <laughs> but at any rate. But anyway, he was an architect. Yeah, he was an architect and very famous in the world. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure you've heard the name I M Pei, maybe. Oh yeah, definitely heard of him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So she grew up with him as friends, and her father knew people like Buckminster Fuller and so on. Yeah, mm-hmm. crazy mm-hmm. world. And mm-hmm. it's kind of weird because you know I come from I come from a town where I don't know anybody, <laughs> mm. and nobody knows me. It's kind of wonderful. Really, really. Yeah, yeah. Literally, oh. I, I. Until until Nancy, I never met or knew anybody, so to speak. You know, I knew people, but but as far as the world and the expansiveness of the world, I had no idea. I knew that where I was was sort of weird, but I and limited mm-hmm. and longed for something else. But I I didn't know what that was. Yeah. Mm. And that's uh, literally that's what. Uh, we could say Dick and Nancy did that to me. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, John, you've sort of come full circle here. Uh, yeah. Uh, There's more shit to, to uh, flesh out, but uh, uh, what have we what have we missed? Well, I'm not sure. You know, there's more about Nancy in the, the early years. There's uh, there's some other stuff other than the melons. You know, it's like there's one dinner party that stands out. Do you know who? So Stanley used to be partners in a publishing firm called it was called Ferris, Strauss and Young. Mm-hmm. After he died, it became Ferris, Strauss and Giroux, Robert Giroux. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was really a, it, it's a high end publishing company. Uh, um, very powerful, uh, but very um, boutique. Uh, and and. Uh, went to one dinner party at this fellow Roger Strauss's house with his wife. I can't remember her name, <clears throat> but, um, yeah, here I was this kid, yeah. this kid from Long Island having dinner with Isaac Bashev as singer, Tom Wolf, <clears throat> Roger Strauss, um, uh, George Braziller, who was another book publisher of high end books and, uh, Robert Giroux, <clears throat> who became the head of Lincoln Center. Um, um, and Nancy and me. 
just just kind of you know wild and amazing rarefied world mm. of of really high end what we'd call East Coast intellectuals, but mm-hmm. who are also of European Jewish descent <clears throat> and um uh, and just a view of a world that I had no idea existed until there I was in front of it. You know? mm. Mm. Other things like that, you know. Yeah. But uh, I, it, I, you know, uh, I don't know if you have if you had any specific aims other than to just have this talk and see where it went. Um, but if you do, I'm always open to sharing and and. Uh, um, and I'm deeply appreciative for the Zen Center and for Dick Baker mm. and, and, and the people who stayed. Yeah. And yeah. carried on. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I couldn't have done it. Uh, yeah. I, think I remember at one point I said, this is going to take years of family therapy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, well, and I was not up for that. You know, a certain number of people stay. Yeah. Uh, and um, they've been, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, Rev and Steve and Linda yeah. at Green Gulch. Uh, they, they help keep it uh, uh, on an even keel in, in some ways, you know. Uh, but there are factions yeah. at Zen Center. Uh, there, oh. you know, the, um, well, and then, uh, you know, there's Fu and at Green Gulch. I mean, I don't know, uh, but I'm not really involved with them much. A little bit, you know, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, sure, uh, sure. Uh, well, yeah, I um, I sometimes send people there just to experience uh, community practice. Yeah, 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 and I, and uh, because it's it's really hard for people to capture. In, in this outside modern world of, um, of being with a group of people all the time. Yeah. It's just not something that happens. Yeah. 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 It was great. I have very, very fond memories of uh, Tassahara, Green Gulch, uh, the city center, Sokoji, all that. Yeah. It was great. But um, and um, and I've really enjoyed being uh, with uh, Dick's group in Germany and Crestone in oh, Colorado. Far. Germany though is great. Uh-huh. I love it. Uh, oh, far. Oh yeah, very comfortable. It's a, really, it's very different. I mean, he really evolved, and his groups evolved, and uh, the woman who's taking over from him is just wonderful. Uh, Oh, Nicole oh Baden, uh, listen to her podcast, man. It was great. Uh, cool. Um, and uh, was he married to her? No, no. Nicole is uh, yeah. is is uh, okay. She's one of his Dharma heirs, but she's also uh-huh. she's also the um, going to be the 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 head of Dharma Sangha America and Germany. Yeah, I- uh, oh, cool. And Paul Rosenblum's her backup, but you know he's older, like us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So and and Dick must be God. He must be eighty six now. 
And well, he's, he's 86. He's yeah. going strong, man. Uh, I'm really glad to hear it. Yeah. Well, well I'm happy for him. That, that, that all of that, yeah. You know, he said to me one time, there are two things he said to me uh, that uh, I'll say. Uh, one is, he said, you know, um, um, if I were, it's kind of weird to say, if, I, if this was my Zen Center, in a sense, he said, uh, I wouldn't have done it this way. He what? He wouldn't have done it this way. He would have had a smaller group, so on and so forth. Um, it was like he was living another life of himself in some funny way. Um, and then the other thing he said to me one day, we're, we're driving out from New York City to Nancy's house. And he said to me something like, uh, you know, life is like you're, you're writing a novel. And you finish a chapter and you start a new one. And then he said, you know, you have to look at the Zen Center as like, um, how can this help me? What what am I here for? Mm-hmm. As uh, as uh, uh, to think about it in that way, not just be um, uh, passive in relationship to it. Mm-hmm. That also there's something larger than just being at the Zen Center. Yeah. I remember those two things. It's quite interesting. To mm. Me. Yeah. Mm. I don't know if he would have said that to the other people. Maybe you know it was just me at that moment. But uh, yeah, uh, it's yeah. Just different things at different times. And Suzuki sure did, and uh, yeah, it, it, and, and uh, he gets quoted like each thing is. Uh, an eternal truth. <laughs> it's just something I he know, said I that know. moment. Isn't it crazy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just, yeah, just uh, I, the other thing he said is people don't take things just at face value. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Funny yeah. one. Yeah. 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 Well. So, thank you, David. Thank you. Uh, and uh, remind me the name of your group, One Heart Zen, right? One Heart Zen, oneheartzen.org. And it's um, Cambridge. Well, I think of it as Cambridge, but it's next door to Cambridge Central. Where, where, yeah. is, where is that again? Summer, Somerville, it's called. Somerville. Fact, um, there was a big exodus from Cambridge in, the, in about 1994 of uh, uh, a lot of the artists and and younger people because rent control was uh, done away with to Somerville. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> but mm. Somerville is really a great town to live in. It's, um, I don't know. It's, it's not, it's Cambridge is a bit too professional. Well, yeah. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's really good. Uh, and, and quite an update. I've, I've kept up with a lot of your life, but uh, this really filled in a lot of the blanks. Um, oh, cool. cool. Um, or we could look at it like one of these giant puzzles. Uh, uh-huh. and, and there's actually most of the pieces still aren't on it, but we've got a framework there. <laughs> yeah, I got you. Cool. You're very kind. <laughs> the, the, your generosity at this work is just, um, it reaches 
it's limitless. It's really beautiful. Hmm. Well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, okay, John. Thanks a lot. It's Take been care, good. David. Love you. Love you. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Yeah. This has been a Cuke Audio podcast. I'm DC Puba of Cuke Audio and Cuke Archives, coming to you from Sleepy Sanur with Doggy Bandita, Feline Cujita, and Dear Lovely Katrinka. And we're wishing you and yours and all of us a grand awakening. <laughs>